Thank you for joining us tonight in the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah. And Wednesday. And today, we are discussing Fleshgate. And joining us today is our co-host, my friend Hap. Hello. If you'd like to introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, My name is Hap. I love horror. I love... I was just talking about this with Jonah a little bit. I'm a bit more of a fan of the traditional mediums of horror, so like horror movies and, you know, I'm kind of kind of basic, kind of basic. Hap, actually, I, I did not know this until, like, just now. <laughs> Hap had not read any creepypasta before reading Fleshgate for the podcast. Yeah. And we were saying, like, Fle- Fleshgate is a pretty good one to start on because it's structured very similar to, like, traditional media like traditional media to like books and stuff and and the writing itself is better than you get in like a lot of the stories that we've been discussing yeah it has like enough technical skills that you're not like this isn't just like a post online (laughs) yeah yeah it does not come off like a forum post and the other thing that we were talking about is that uh the other thing that i was telling Hap, which I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I had Hap join us for this episode, because the other thing that I was telling him that he should read was Dogscape, (laughs) (laughs) which is, like, like a thing that you send to your friends to, like, fuck with them. And I'm glad that I did not have Hap read Dogscape. Hey, Hap, who's never read a creepypasta before, read Dogscape. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's it's amazing. The little things that I was told about Dogscape are horrid and also just like (laughs) it seems better as like some sort of anthropological work than it does as like yeah a thing that you (laughs) sit down and enjoy or like that's really yeah that's good insight or whatever (laughs) the right word would be for that oh yeah it's it's very much like a like a piece of uh like a like a social piece about the culture of the place that made it, rather than something that you would read for personal enjoyment ever. <laughs> you're not getting, you're you're actively removing parts of yourself when you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess on that note, I will jump into the summary. But before we get into that, I'm going to abuse my host privileges to tell you that I have a new story on No Sleep that I hope you guys will check out. It's called Lake. And Slumber Reads did a wonderful cover of it that I'll also link in the description with the No Sleep itself. I'd really appreciate if you read it and wreck it to other people if you like it. I also have a No Sleep series that I'm going to be starting very soon, so keep your eyes peeled. Fleshgate follows a shut-in who goes on a hike in Gila National Forest with his brother and his friends who are much more athletic than he is. On the second night... Evan, our narrator, hands off the map to one of the members of the group, Barry. And in the morning, Ian, his brother, is furious that Evan gave the map to seemingly a complete stranger, because the only other man in their party is his friend, Oliver. As they continue hiking, Evan turns back to assist Lucas, who is lagging behind the party due to his MS, when Lucas crouches on all fours, hisses, and runs off into the brush. The group panic, realizing they're being infiltrated by mimics who can not only disguise themselves as humans, but alter their very perception, making them believe that they are legitimate members of the group. They get lost in their panic and continue walking, running low on sleep and supplies as Ian tries to lead them out of the forest. While taking shifts to watch the camp at night, Evan has a conversation with Jessica, Ian's girlfriend, who he's been in love with for a long time, and he confesses to her about his severe anxiety and his feelings for her. 
However, he realizes the next morning that this was just another mimic that had learned how to become Jessica and took advantage of him to steal their supplies and backpacks. As they begin dehydrating and becoming delirious, Evan begins to believe that his brother has been replaced by one of the mimics and almost strikes him with his walking stick. Afterwards, he's comforted by his girlfriend, only to realize as they begin leaving the park that he is sure he has not had a girlfriend. Deciding it's too risky to allow her to return to society with them, in case she turns out to be one of them, he kills her, and the other mimics drag her off into the brush to eat her. So what do we think about this one? It is very, very good. It's surprisingly... I mean, I looked at when it was originally made, and I was shocked because I've seen things that are in the mainstream that I'd like to get into in a little bit that are derivative of it, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, we've talked a bunch about like very similar concepts and how this is like a hot spot in like people's idea of like what a horror is. Sure. Yeah, and and specifically pasta because this uh Fleshgate is itself in a way kind of derivative of an earlier very very popular pasta called Goatman or <laughs> Anansi's Goatman. So many pastas good and bad are trying to be Goatman, and Fleshgate is one of the few ones that I feel like actually surpasses Goatman. Mm-hmm. Like, it like it takes the core idea of Goatman, which is like, what if you were in the woods, you didn't know the people around you very well, and there was a thing there that was, like, infiltrating your group and, like, fucking with you, and it takes it to another level, where it's now also about the characters' emotions and their, and their inner lives. Yeah, this is, like... A full story version of the goat man, where he's the goat man yeah. feels like something someone is sharing with you. I think there's an interesting thing happening in the intro, where a lot of like creepy pastas will get lost in the sauce of doing like a story intro. Sure. Yeah. But this like does this in a way that both has like I have a, a like a pet peeve that I probably mentioned maybe that. <laughs> Yeah. Like, when people are in a situation and they leave it to the end because that's how they think a story should be formatted. Yeah, like, like when someone's, like, waits until the very end to give you, like, the shock ending, like, oh, my, and, and then my sister was killed. It's like, no, you, you should lead with that. Like, like, like a normal it's person. It's like, hey, you already knew your sister was killed before you started writing this to the Reddit. That already happened to you. So this person gets, this person gets that out of the way and then goes back into the traditional format of, like, an intro. They're like, this happened and here's how that happened. I think that's a pretty strong, like, understanding of the structure they need. It feels much more natural in, like, the way that a person would think. Well, I mean, one thing that I think is really, or I guess two things that are really interesting about the intro to me, just coming at it as kind of an outsider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is that it managed to have a plot twist within itself for me. Yeah. Because the way it's written is, like, everyone who I was with has died in the course of this story. Let me now tell you how they died. I noted that down. Like that's that's one of the things that like made the story really stick in in my brain the first time that I that I heard it. It comes in with this really great subversion of expectations, right? Because yeah. when when someone leads in saying like, you know, they were my friends and they're gone now, you expect like, oh, this is going to be a story about being the sole survivor of the thing. Right. But it's actually just about the guilt of killing these things that were trying to eat him. And it's it's like, oh, that's so smart. Yeah, I think he cherishes the memories of, like, these things that weren't real. Like, we know through the summary that Jonah just did and stuff, is, and, like, if you read it, is that, like, there's a 
feeling that the girlfriend might have been real and he killed her for like personal reasons there's this undercurrent of like unspoken betrayal right in the story that the author doesn't really like hit on but like the idea that this person might have actually been in his life and there might have been something going on because like the tension with him and his brother is real like prior to any of the events of the story also like hey is a prius a sporty car no it's not no. a sporty car no nope a Prius is like a dork car. Why are they take? Why are they taking this Prius to? The- these people aren't sporty. Why are they taking? Well, I mean, they're okay. Not- they have a Prius. Prius is like is is like gas efficient. That's why oh. it's a dork car. Big dork car energy for sure. I thought what I was thinking like the idea that they're going on this really rugged, long, extended trip, and that there's all sporty people in a Prius struck me as like a false narrative like like they're they're, they're maybe oh my god they're just going there for like a day trip or no, something I'm, I'm pretty like, sure it's just supposed to be coding him as a yuppie do we do we have uh, a okay do we have a segment on this show called conspiracy wednesday yet because <laughs> like we should have conspiracy wednesday definitely like i don't even think the writing is real i think this is a fake story <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about also Wednesday, do you think all sporty people drive Jeeps or something? Like, there's no car that screams health-conscious professionals in their 20s like a Prius. Anyway, when you're... When you, it's hard not to quip when you're doing the summaries, because I've made a note that's... Uh, I wrote something down that's hard to, like, form back into notes. Is that, you know, the part where the guy... Where they're, like, like a, one of these creatures with them that's, like implanted in their mind that he's their friend with ms mm-hmm. and i have written down that's what ms does to you is that what ms does to you that turns you into a creature i i, I think wednesday was being quippy about the way that it was being handled in the story like, yeah ah ah like a broken <laughs> aesop of like being disabled makes you a monster or something like that i forgot that they spell out the uh the prion disease thing uh-huh. Like that okay, prion disease is really scary, you guys. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, also also, I forgot how much I remembered of the story. Like when you said let's read Fleshgate, I was like, oh wow, I remember zero percent of the story. And then I read Fleshgate, I was like, wow, I remember everything that happens in the story. <laughs> you just forgot that it was Fleshgate. Yeah, like like the part where he opens about the tricycle stuff, like I forgot that belonged in Fleshgate. It was just like loose passages in my head. <laughs> The characterization of the guy is really solid and comes across really well just through these sort of, like, mopey bitch boy quips that he has. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, and and you may hate me for this, but I (laughs) was getting very, very tired of the sort of catcher-in-the-rye style, like, (laughs) I'm, I'm too depressed and too cool to write this story. You're gonna come into contact with that a lot when you read creepypastas. It's, like, a favorite dude trait. It at least, like, it feels... Because, like, there's a thing that's very common in creepypasta, and Mm. in a lot of them, it feels like this very empty thing. Like, it's this, like... Like, it is this sort of, like, Holden Coalfield trying very hard to be, like, deep. I'm too cool to care. 
because like that's the thing that the people who are who are reading pasta and trying to write their own kind of have in their mind is like oh that's how you do something that is like literary and deep where like i Mm -hmm. feel like this person is just like characterizing the narrator as just like a deeply unlikable person yeah like like the intention i think is to be a likable person i think him being this like flawed character this character who's like unlikable and like like prone to aggression really fast comes sure. through like in these like the quips he does and also the stuff that happens yeah he's the only person in the party who's able to bring himself to violence to protect himself this is unrelated by the way but like i i do want to say jonah and this is not your fault one bit gila national forest is going to destroy me i i've, I've always so i'm, I'm in southern oh. arizona and we're, we're like Gila Monster. It, it's all Gila Monster. So. Is it not pronounced like that? It's pronounced Gila. Gila. Okay. I've heard readers say it wrong. Like every time I've listened to it. I, think <laughs> I mean, it, it could be. It, maybe that's the English pronunciation. Listen, I normally look up like location and like folklore stuff. But this is such like a contained story. It's in New Mexico, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it would probably be the other sound the sound that you're making yeah you you are probably correct it is probably Hila. yes yeah but now i seem like a jerk because i'm like no. <laughs> no no like i don't know the language i'm not familiar with the area this is my introduction to your podcast <laughs> audience me being like i'm actually jonah you idiot <laughs> it's Hila. well like you're from arizona you're allowed to correct me about, like, things from the Southwest. You live there. You're bringing your experience and expertise here to the oh, book club. Thank you. I like the sound of that Wednesday. I like the sound <laughs> of that. And also, we're in a book club. That's the entire point of it. <laughs> Heck yeah. We all have to be able to, like, bite each other a little bit. Yeah, it's friendly nibbles. Uh, uh, all right, all right. All right, Wednesday. Now, now it's weird. Now it's friendly weird. fire. Okay, well, think about it. <laughs> on it uh a a note again for like the early stuff where he's like he talks about like his self-imposed like isolation and i have here like he like de-socializes himself by i i do really feel like the girlfriend is real but like that he talks about it in this way that he has created this isolation for himself as an excuse to be a bad person to other people it's quite possible. As opposed to, like, I am, like, this affected me singularly is, like, how he presents it. But, like, he uses it, like, his actual actions are just, like, because I, like, I am better than these people. I feel like it's not quite to that extent. Like, I I feel like I have a little bit more of a generous reading on this guy because I don't think that the girlfriend was real. Like, because of other evidence that we have in the story, like, you know, the car only sits five people uncomfortably like yeah but who's the fifth person there's oliver amy who's uh oliver's girlfriend jessica and ian and evan is amy real though we hear very little about amy i'm pretty sure like she is she is mentioned like being with them the entire time and she like i think she she also speaks but again like 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 we see with heather that's not necessarily confirmed my counter, my only counter pointed to it is that they descend upon her and eat her real quick. And, like, 
I guess they could be cannibalistic creatures that eat each other and opportunistically, but like, what if they weren't and they were just like dope, free food? <laughs> I, I feel like him him pointing out like how emaciated and fucked up they were is like another thing of like they yeah they they are so starving that they are willing to eat each other which is like both sort of the parallel of like how willing he is mm -hmm. to like immediately rush to violence two two times in in the story he was he's fucking ready but then also like like a thing that we're supposed to pick up on a little bit to be like okay this is them being like opportunity predators uh an unrelated note is like a nasty early online way he talks about hill people i thought was gross i mean it's a direct like deliverance nod right yeah it doesn't make it not gross but yeah i i just like to point out when things are icky <laughs> and creepy pastas sure i mean there's there is a a good amount of ick in this <laughs> and you know we can get into this a little later he throws around some gamer words in the story. Because he, doesn't, he doesn't weaponize it, I suppose. It wouldn't register as bad like some other people do it. But, like, it's It's still... just so Holden Caulfield to me. Like, I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. It's that and, like, the hillbilly rape sentence. He's just an unpleasant person, I think. But it's also very, like, this culture of the internet at the time this was being posted. It, it reminds me very much of, like, like my, my generosity towards the narrator. I, I, I think he's, like, a shitty person, mm -hmm. but I don't think that he is, like, shitty with intent. To me, this story is about self-destruction more than anything else. Like, because, because he is lashing out in a way that hurts him physically. Mm -hmm. Like, these creatures are manifestations of his desire to have social connections. Oh, that's good, yeah. Because because he doesn't. He doesn't have any connections. He thinks of these creatures fondly because they created people who are, like, want to be in his life. The sequence with the map early on was the first, like, instance of someone, like, coming to him and approaching him. It really reminded me of the Blair Witch a lot, in that, like, mm. very similar because they're in the woods and they're being, like, bopped about by a paranormal force they can't, like, <laughs> understand, even though this is more, like, a, a visceral, like, kind yeah. of fear. Yeah, that is, like, a Blair Witchy kind of pull. Like, yeah, you know, like, their map gets fucked up, their, then their supplies, like... Yeah, the idea of, like, the map being so central to them, even though they're... It's easy to get lost and die in the forest, period, but it's also really hard to do that. And, like, they bring that up in the Blair Witch, too. And, like, the the path they were on was a marked path. It wasn't, like, they weren't, like, they weren't, like, deep forest camping or anything. So I think it's really interesting that it centers around it as hard as it does. The thing that, that makes it, that adds to the stakes of that, like, if he is pulling from from Blair Witch and I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. if he is because that's so like embedded in yeah. in like like our horror culture like the, mm -hmm. the the sort of self-awareness of that that's why he brings up like the trail is supposed to be closed nobody yeah. is going to be checking up on this like that is the thing that is going to damn them and like Im implied the reason why the 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 flesh gates feel that they can do this that they confident can do, like... to also like, they go to great lengths to make sure that you know that they were misled by these creatures the entire time. 
Like there are layers yeah. of mental manipulation and who's real, who's not. And just as a general point, like the entirety of ambiguity in this story is amazing like there's a valid Mm -hmm. read that none of this happened and they are just dying (laughs) in they get lost and die in the desert and he's like the only one who survived because he he has to write this on the reddits i mean i don't think that's the right read but there (laughs) is a read that's like no but you can read it and you could take it that way i think that would like the author might have intended one reading but doesn't necessarily like negate other readings of it yeah it's good philosophy it is entirely possible that any one of the members of the party was replaced by one of the creatures. Like, it's it's possible that Jessica was still one of the mimics when they left. What if OP is a creature? What if he's like, oh, I miss these guys. They You're were my so... friends. Oh my god. And now I'm writing this thing so I've perfectly infiltrated their society. I'm getting, like, I got cereal and the the, the cover and now I'm writing this creepy pasta. I miss my friends. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a reading I feel like you you have to reach a lot for evidence yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to reach reading, but like this is one of those stories where like you can kind of stretch the evidence to to make guesses that aren't necessarily full text supportive. Yeah. Because things are so ambiguous. Yeah. To talk about the uh, the the creature that like had inserted thoughts of them having MS, it reminded me a little bit of one of the hikers who were on the Dadloff Pass incident, right? Yeah. One of them that go with the group, he has, I believe, MS. It might not be MS, but he has an autoimmune disorder that's like nerve degenerating, like that Mm -hmm. this is going to be his last hike and he is in so much pain he goes back early and survives he does not die and explode mysteriously he turns back around during like their first stop and so i think there's like i think this was an intentional reference to that because a little language that uses like very similar this could be his like last hike hey don't point out that he's like having like tr- struggles and he's like one of the earliest like monsters to give the game away huh yeah i i, I didn't i don't know a lot about the the Dyatlov pass incident other than the stuff that i found from that really bad movie that we watched <laughs> oh it's really bad something like, yeah it's really it's a really bad movie have you ever seen devil's pass no it is a nightmare. <laughs> people, people really, really like it. I don't. It's like not yeah. Good people guys. like a lot of horrid nonsense. Have you seen the? Have you seen the Blair Witch app? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was ask. I, I wanted to ask, but I brought it up early because I didn't ask. I've also seen Blair Witch Two, which yeah, was, that was not good. One of those horrible things. <laughs> I have a newer appreciation for it recently but it's not good yeah <laughs> have you seen have you seen chernobyl diaries i like chernobyl no. diaries a lot okay i was going to say <laughs> chernobyl diaries and yet love uh, i mean devil's pass are basically the same movie they're both bad in the exact same way they are but but chernobyl diaries is also a better movie like <laughs> it's there uh, it's it's like it's like okay when you eat a hot pocket, and they come from the same box, but one hot pocket is a better hot pocket. <laughs> but you can't, like, 
<laughs> like it has more filling. Yeah, it's just a no. The filling hot just pot. tastes better. It's the That's better. That's the hot weird thing. It just hits better. You're like, it oh, just hits yeah. different. A hot pocket. You're just really hungry when you ate it. Yeah. Shut up, Jonah. You don't, you don't get Wednesday's love for the second hot pocket, okay? Yeah. It's, it's some real shit. Turner Will Die is a better movie. It's not a good movie. It's just a better movie. <laughs> They're, they are both similar to Fleshgate, except in almost every way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's so rude that's so rude Cause, okay because the thing that makes Fleshgate stand out to me is like because a lot of horror like especially a lot of the stuff that i am drawn to mm-hmm. is like psychological horror you don't get a lot of psychological horror even though so much pasta yeah so much creepypasta deals or tries to deal with mental health and mental illness Almost none of it is, like, legitimately psychological. Yeah, it's all very material. And Fleshgate manages to have some psychological bite to it. Because this guy is, like, really fucked up. Yeah, there's, like, a family trauma bot and, like, personal dysfunction throughout the entire thing from, like, start to end. This guy is a is a PD icon. <laughs> hey. PD icon? A personality disorder um... icon. Hey. <laughs> like... <laughs> Men with avoidant. <laughs> Icon. King. Icon. Yeah. Represent. <laughs> hey, we need to talk about how he fucked that creature. He didn't. Okay. Come on. No, he, no, Hap, he, he did. I didn't that realize until creature. I was reading it. They censored it. In the original one, he does fuck the creature. They censored it, so it was just kiss. No, they kiss. No, no, they changed the wording of it, probably for creepypasta wiki standards, which I didn't realize until I was reading it, and I was like, hang on, he fucks the creature, why did they change this? I read the, yeah, I found the, I found an older post of it, right, and not the censored <laughs> one, like, I, because I, because I got it originally from, like, readers who also censored it, yeah. but, like, wait, wait. fucked that creature. Why? Why would the creature allow him to do this and vice versa? Um, well, because he didn't know. He thought it was a lady. Okay. Which is why he's so apologetic right. to Ian, because, like, when you read it and it's been censored to kiss, it comes off like he's fucking insane. Because, like, you wouldn't be like no, that. No, it doesn't. If you kiss, if you, it's bro code. If you kiss your, <laughs> your, I'm serious, I'm serious. If you kiss your brother's girlfriend... Oh, you violated bro code so hard. <laughs> you should feel contrite. He fu- he he did violate it by fucking the creature no, and thinking this is, his girlfriend. This is, the version <laughs> I read was a kiss. Okay, we, we can Hap, say you were covering your ears and going la 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 la. No, 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 no. No, hear me out. He's honor. Legit. Why would Jessica, fake Jessica, do that? Why? There's no reason to in the story. It would just be for, like, fan service, quote-unquote. My interpretation of it is that when they are mimicking, like, the closer to human they are, like, the more... Because, like, to be able to, like, accurately mimic humanity you need to take on more qualities of humanity yeah what they are, what they are doing is something in, like this is like we're saying like a more realized goatman they're not attacking them physically they're waiting for them to attack each other yeah and i think that actually 
because I mentioned this in the Goatman episode, it was like our first episode that we mm-hmm. did, I was like, oh yeah, my interpretation of this is that they're waiting for them to kill each other. I think that might be because I, I, I like Fleshgate so much, that kind yeah. of seeped into my brain, and I was like, oh yeah, of course the Goatman is not attacking because it wants them to kill each other, because that is sort of what the, the Fleshgates seem yeah. to be going for. They are They are trying to provoke violence or or waiting for them to drop dead because they are not capable of attacking physically and for jessica specifically she's trying to distract the narrator so that they can destroy their supplies and get them lost so she like taps into this deep repressed fantasy he has about being chosen by her and being chosen over ian and there's like a cain and abel story happening here a little bit like i don't know how it's like word it's just like there's this tension with the brothers, and a lot of, like, the story is, yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the sibling rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I ask why you think they're called Fleshgate? Like, not you specifically. Because, like, clearly, there's a reason... Yeah, like, I'm... it's easy to refer to them as Fleshgates, because the story's called Fleshgate. It's a sick title. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's also, <laughs> like, rad as hell. So... I'm not sure where the name comes from. Like, like I know that people refer to Fleshgate creatures now, and I don't know if it's because they are referring back to this story, which uses this title, or because there was like a like a cryptid type monster that was called this, and it uses this title. There's kind of like this forward motion in like horror community to like, without even meaning to, to get away from like certain terms, right? Certain words yeah. for things that like people shouldn't use and stuff. Like zombie? No, but yes. Like, okay. like pin that. I have a lot to say about zombie. Like, because the idea of it as a generic monster is really appropriate because that means something very specifically. But it's so like ubiquitous in culture that people don't really think of it that way. I've seen so many posts that be like, "Hey, don't use this and this is from this culture. Use zombie instead." Like, no, because zombie is also a thing. Like, mutation. Right? Like, yeah, like, you can't, just because it does exist in a lot of places, it doesn't remove the fact that's a, a very specific thing that we have stretched over, like, the canvas of media. And I like zombie stuff a lot, so this is also, like, talking from, like, someone who enjoys that kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. not, like, outsidery. <laughs> so it feels just like this person's attempt to not put themselves in the category that other people do while also still making the story. Because there's a lot of stories that sort of try to appropriate, like, particularly, like, indigenous mythology yeah. and, and, and spirituality and, and stuff like that. I've heard whisperings of a Wendigo in Creepypasta yeah. that kind of popped off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we're going to, like, drop terms, this is, like, this person saying it's a skinwalker without using the word skinwalker is where I thought, like, Fleshgate invokes, invokes that kind of thing. I mean, Fleshgate is also, I mean, I can't stress this enough. What an amazing (laughs) name. I don't know where they came up with it, but like, it's evocative of so many things, both orally and in writing. And all of them are creepy and unsettling. I think it actually might be an attempt to create like a, like a euphemism for skinwalker because like literally flesh, skin, gate, walk. Yeah, it's literally like, yeah. Oh. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just swap the words out. Yeah. Which, like, had never occurred to me before Wednesday you just said oh, that. Really? I was like, oh, okay. yeah, that's that feels really obvious now. I'm contributing to the podcast. <laughs> I guess there's well, a Wednesday, first time for everything. You get a gold star. <laughs> Yay! 
Hey, there's this line he says I I quoted because it fucks really hard. It's like when he says I knocked, and like this. I I also I also grabbed <gasps> yes. that one. Like this, like this. We've been talking about a bunch of stories that have this kind of like door as horror door symbology. Yeah, door symbols. Can Can you read the line? Yeah, um, the instant I heard those words, I knocked. When he's talking about Heather speaking to him and, like, Heather trying to sort of, like, console him. And this is why he beats her to death. Using knock in two ways where he's, like, he's thinking about, like, the fact that he was, like, stalled out at that door at that party, feeling like he can never, you know, knock on it and invite himself in and go inside. And also comparing that to the act of literally bludgeoning this creature to death. And it's 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 tied up in a very strange way. Yeah. Because, like... It's, it's like the pseudo-resolution, because his social problems are, in fact, worse than they were before. He recognizes that he was willing to look at a person that he thought was a long-term partner and beat to death. Just, like, really, really interesting character portrait. And, like, because I knew that we were going to record this, I've been thinking all day about, like, the way, especially people online use like mental health and mm-hmm. social anxiety mm-hmm. as on the one hand like a justification for bad behavior yeah but also like it's like a reliance mm-hmm. on Mm-mm. your own like bad habits and and cycles of behavior to avoid actually confronting things that you don't like about yourself like yeah. taking taking your social anxiety and making it into an identity and identifier so it's like I'm a socially anxious person, therefore it's in my own self-interest to stay in my shell and never break out of it. Which is very much like the mindset that he has throughout the whole thing. Getting into like more like behavioral issues, it's like, because I am like this, I'm also allowed to be like surly and unpleasant to be around. And it's also like, I can never change because like, I'm too fucked up, I'm too damaged to allow myself to be social it's it's this combination of like self-destruction and then like projecting outwards to external mm-hmm. destruction and i think there's also like an interesting thing that's not like necessarily what the story is going for but like when you are this kind of person you don't have to socialize at parties you don't have to find socialization camping you can have hobbies that support your needs and people who are going to like mesh well with you you don't have to keep forcing yourself against like people who are like not compatible with you even if they like mean something to you and that is a thing that like not to be like oh introverts need support groups or whatever (laughs) but like (laughs) like that that's not always like people who have really bad social anxiety tend to just be told like well you need to put yourself out there more you need to you need to push yourself right and it's like okay but like what is pushing yourself for you as like a person who does not have that yeah. is not going to look the same yeah. for someone who is like struggling in that way and has like just like a different need for socialization which is which is also a thing to consider yeah people also just don't have to do all the same things look this like forced get together where he doesn't know anyone and it's like overwhelming this was for his brother and not for him like this was him trying to like create something that wasn't there for him as well like this is not his brother's bag he doesn't know these people who like just drag someone out camping it's really like it's a bizarre decision like like off map or packing packing camping it's like you don't like 
spring that on a person, it's really, like, I know I'm, like, adding, like, outside world logic to the story with Beast, <laughs> but, like, if he wanted to help his brother get out there and stuff, there's, like, less intensive ways to do that. <laughs> have, have you guys ever seen The Descent? Yeah. Yes. This is, as we're talking about it, I'm realizing, wait a second, this is just The Descent with a happy ending. This whole story is... Well... By the way, I'm sorry. Should I put out a spoiler warning for... This? Oh, no, 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 no. I was just going to say, like, I don't know if, if if the end of Fleshgate is happy uh, necessarily. Yeah, I it's happy either. But, like, also go... <laughs> Comparatively. Unlisten to this podcast and go watch The Blair Witch. <laughs> yeah, go go watch Descent. Go watch some good movies. Stop reading Creepypasta all the time. Uh, and then come back. Yeah, yeah. Don't, read, don't read the dog one. Hey. Stop reading the dog one. <laughs> Maybe the dog one sometime. But if you go camping, trailer camping isn't camping. Um, Whoa, whoa. That's such a horrid take. Are you kidding me? I'm I'm very serious. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, thanks for gatekeeping my camping experience. You are outside and you're enjoying nature. Right. But a trailer is a building. It's... A, it's not. B, so what? People live in trailers. You can you can camp in a cabin as long as it's sufficiently you remote. You can camp in a cabin, which is more of a building than a trailer. That's not camping either. You're in a ca- you're in a cabin. That's not camping. Oh my god, <laughs> it is camping. Is, it's it, it's not tenting. This is so dumb, Wednesday. If you want to die on this hill, I do. You're, you're wrong. Anything you're wrong. less than tenting isn't camping. Like. You're just having an experience. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me get rid of all my earthly possessions, cover myself in mud, <laughs> and I'll say, oh, am I camping yet Wednesday? Oh, am I camping yet Wednesday? And you'll be like, mm, no, you have, to, you have to take off the mud, and actually, you have to be in a truly hospitable atmosphere. I didn't ask you to cover yourself in mud. That's what you were into. I'm not going to judge. But... Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. You're not kink shaming me. Wednesday will not tolerate anything less than absolute Franciscanism. <laughs> I I guess. I, and like, also, you need to bring along like a, a whip and a knife. So every time, every thirty seconds, you just have to like make a shallow cut on your hand. So you... if you have brought like freeze dry rations and you're not like foraging <laughs> in the woods, you're a bitch. If you aren't hunting for your own food, you're a poser. You're a weekend warrior. If you can't name ten mushrooms that won't kill you, you gotta pack it up. Portobello is one. Yeah. I don't eat mushrooms. Shiitake so. mushrooms are... Anyway. Yeah, Jenna's mushroom-free. This is, this is a mushroom-free podcast. Have, is there, like, a fungus creepypasta? Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure definitely. That That seems like it's rife with potential. They are so creepy. Those little fox are so creepy. Fungus is so scary to me. I okay on this podcast, I have said basically everything in the fucking world is scary, scary to me, but fungus is very scary. So jo- Jonas, like fungus for Jonas, like easily two, like there's like a top three is like number two, right? <laughs> what? There are a few things that I will like block images of and fungus is i will them. block images of, of fungus <laughs> and mushrooms that don't like to see there them. is a good there's not i'm not sure i call it good I, it's a varied amount of 
good and bad, I guess, <laughs> to do in general, a series about, uh, like, fungal infection virus stuff that's kind of like Southern Reachy, I guess. But, like, because it came out afterwards, I have to assume it's, like... Like, inspired by, uh... The, yes. Yeah, the movie. But there's a part of it, and this has nothing to do with what they're talking about on this pod... Um, on this <laughs> reading, but there's this part that stuck with me a lot, because, like, the the fungus makes people, like, do a really extreme thing, and this person's into running, and they, like, run until their body disintegrates, and it really stuck with me. <laughs> I mean, that's creepy, but also, like... <laughs> What does running until your body disintegrate even look like? If I can find this, if I can find the series again, I'll send it to the chat. Okay. It's fungus okay. related. I mean, fungus <laughs> is creepy. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to get so off track, but that's okay. <laughs> we we do this constantly. <laughs> this is par for the fucking course with yeah. us. It's <laughs> how you're getting the stuff. Okay, I'm I'm gonna finish off the fungus thing. I'm just gonna say it's creepy, but like, and I know you don't like it, Jonah. But if prepared right, oh my gosh, it's so good. I used to hate mushrooms. And then one day, a switch flipped in my brain. Maybe a spore got up in my nose. And it was like, <laughs> oh, I like you. mushrooms now. And ever since, I cannot get they enough of mushrooms. They call that toxoplasmin. I'm sorry? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to wish I heard that, aren't I? you from hearing it. Crap, I said you have toxoplasmosis. That's why you like mushrooms now. It's like mushroom toxoplasmosis? Yeah, sure, why not? That's just what it does to humans. No, that's such cap, They say there is a theory that toxoplasmosis increases risk-taking behavior in humans. Mm -hmm. But they're not sure if that's necessarily caused by toxoplasmosis, or it is simply correlated with it because... People who take more risks are less likely to exercise safety in situations where they could potentially get toxoplasmosis. That's really like they're less likely to like wash their hands after cleaning the cat litter. Yeah. So like they don't know if, if if that is correlated because toxoplasmosis affects the human brain in any specific way, or or if it's just because like people don't wash their hands right sometimes. Yeah. That's really interesting. I really like mushrooms. What does any of this have to do with mushrooms? Oh, it, it doesn't. I would just started thinking about toxoplasmas. We're, we're creating theories that increase them. <laughs> there is 100% a toxoplasmosis creepypasta. Oh, definitely. 1,000%. A percent. I'll find there's you a five. Whole, there's a whole book by Scott Westerfeld. It is not technically oh, yeah. about toxoplasmids, but it is, the premise is inspired by toxoplasmids. I have to read that so hard. And it's about vampires also. I need to read it so hard. <laughs> How? How is it that both of those things? Don't anyway, worry about we can get back to Flesh Gate, but like, what a horrible combination of things for the book to be about. <laughs> Happy. Okay. I'm not going to get into it. We can do a post. It's about cat parasites and also vampires. It's like, okay. All, listen, listen. All good vampire media has to have like layers going on. Otherwise, it's just silly. See, no, it doesn't. That's the thing. We overcomplicate vampires. It doesn't have to be some sort of, like... Name me a single vampire-based media that doesn't have, like, a lot, lot of nonsense going on in it. Dracula. <laughs> Dracula? Oh, my God. It's a travel diary by a guy who's never had paprika in his life. And, like, 
about like the interconnection oh, no. of hasn't like... had paprika oh no what a freaky idea what a freaky concept wow you've really you've really convinced me Wednesday it's about this these people who haven't experienced anything outside of their lives and are getting culture shock and are yes. like developing fear from the culture shock also there's these vampires yes <laughs> but that's not like that's not like a parasite that's literally no, just like, like sheltered people which exists yeah. in the real world yeah but that's not just the fear of vampires yeah 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 but like there doesn't have to be layers of like oh it's actually a bug that crawls into your nose when you're sleeping and it turns you into a vampire it's like no that's <laughs> dumb that that's very the dumb. book is so buck wild like you you would not you could not possibly imagine where that book goes but anyway back to Fleshgate. <laughs> <laughs> the thing part of the thing that i was thinking of earlier like when i was thinking about the the like social anxiety stuff also was like mm-hmm. he has a like imposter syndrome oh oh my gosh so, social anxiety mimics imposter syndrome oh my gosh. Like it's all kind of rolled up into this sure this is a really good story the way that like imposter syndrome is like self-centered like a lot of the anxiety that people have is like i am tricking Ugh. these people yeah if if you are able to trick like everyone around you into thinking that you can do x y and z or if you feel like you're tricking them into thinking that you're a good person because you feel like you're actually secretly bad but nobody else knows. Aren't you kind of, like, <laughs> looking down on, on these other people? Like, they are so stupid that they are being checked by me <laughs> during the, the task I should be doing anyway. The way that anxiety makes us, like, more an- antisocial people in the sense of being, like, the opposite of prosocial antisocial in the way where we are like being like our worst selves and thinking of ourselves as our worst selves and like the hierarchy of like mental health and stuff especially like when you were talking about how people like use it as like an identity and stuff like that like the way anxiety is is often given like uh cap claws right like you you're a baby you are you think of yourself so like less and like all that kind of stuff that goes into like the aesthetic of like anxiety when it's really like just as like socially destructive and like egocentric as like anything else you can have what's interesting to me about this is having talked about it as we have in this podcast it's amazing to me that they managed to fit all of this sort of subtext Mm -hmm. in, and some of it is direct text but all of this subtext in a way that feels relatively sensitive interesting and pretty nuanced it's a really well put together story yeah yeah Yeah, and 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 such a short word count like Mm -hmm. this is like a single reddit post basically and a lot of the word count is devoted to like hey here's the trail and we're we're going off to the left when we were supposed to go off to the right and it's a lot of like technical (laughs) stuff and yet they still manage to fit in this this interesting layer I, I don't have a lot of notes, and I think it's because the story goes down, like, as easy as it does, and it's, like, mm-hmm. as competent as it is, and it's, like, it's technically sound and also, like, interesting. It's just, like, a thing to experience. I also think that it, it really shines, and I haven't read any creepypasta, right? 
But there's a reason yeah. I haven't read a lot of creepypasta. <laughs> and that's that I've heard about portrayals of mental illness, portrayals of whatever people are going through. And it's these weird, exaggerated pantomimes of, oh, here's what psychopathy looks like. Oh, yeah. isn't that wild? <laughs> Jeff the Killerisms. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jeff the Killerisms. That's an amazing way to put it. What if what if you were like so crazy and you kill people? Yeah, how hor- how horrifying. And 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 you were so crazy that you cut your eyelids off. Oh. What if you woke up in a padded room? <laughs> <laughs> so this shows that like you can tackle that subject matter and even like the even like portray it in a way that's not necessarily flattering to the uh, main character and still do it like sensitively and like have a story that has like a bunch of stuff going on in it and like that lands like have a story that's like together another thing too i mean the author manages to do it without employing much purple prose yeah it's nice refreshing it's pretty streamlined there's not like there, there are elements of like, oh, I knocked on the door, and that's a running metaphor throughout the story. But it's never, it never feels pretentious or alluding to more meaning than it has. It feels like it's alluding to all of the meaning that it has every time the author shows their voice, kind of. And it's nice. It's refreshing. Even among like published novels. And and that's especially hard to thread in a short story. Like, yeah. Like, that is one of the things about pasta that I feel like people kind of undersell is because, like, people think, like, because there's fewer words, that means it must be easier. Yeah. But, like, short form is harder. Short stories are so fucking difficult. Short, short stories are so fucking complicated because, like, you have to pack everything that you would get in a novel into a tiny piece. Yeah. There's this understanding when you're in, like, writing for technical skills, when you're writing for, like, you're, like, a writing class that cares about foundation over voice or whatever, that the understanding is that the short form is harder. But when you get outside of that circle of, like, or circle's a bad word for it, I guess, when you get outside of that influence of, like, I am learning paragraph structure. I am learning uh, how to comprise prose and junk like that. Is the idea is like yeah, like a shorter form is easier because it's less words and like words are the most the amount of words is the most important that you can do and the flowier the language the better and it's like the disconnect between like craft writers and people who are trying to like develop a culture where like you flip things really fast <laughs> and that's also like feeds into kind of a problem in like modern creepypasta right where there is an incentive to write sort of these multi-part things that go on for a really long time even if like you could be much more concise you could cut parts out so that you have like a tighter shorter thing mm-hmm. but people tend to confuse word count with quality. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was getting at. Like, we covered Candle Cove, and Candle Cove is, like, ten words, guys. And, like, that is, like, one of the most iconic, like, mainstaying things that people like, oh, Candle Cove is so good. Versus, like, how many of these, like, multi-part stories that are floating around that that you can, like, 
actively recommend to anyone after the initial heat has died down. I think that people don't confuse word count with quality. It's not, and I don't even think it's a matter of confusion. I think it's a matter of this is a popular story. You know, hey, people are actually liking this story. And and this is coming from the outsider perspective. But again, like, I think this holds true. Like, if you make something and it's super popular, a sequel gets green light for one reason or another. And serialization is almost internal greenlit sequels in a way. Oh, I mean, like, not not sequelizing. I mean, like, when people are going into something intending to serialize it, and they pull it out for much, much longer. Yeah. Like, we looked at this one story earlier. Cabin Story is basically what we call it, because it has, like, 15 fucking different names. And it goes on way, way, way longer than it needs to, because it is built on, like, audience engagement. You see this a bunch in, like, writery circles that are more into, like, the culture of being a writer than, like, writing of, like, <laughs> I, like, it's fun. I, I also like to share my word count just because I'm kind of lethargic in my life. But people who share, like, word count are often like, I have done 50,000 words today, and I haven't even introduced the secondary most important character. Like, okay, well, what you're writing is junk. All that is, like, filler. This is, like, grain in your story. That was, like, I was I was in this group, this, this like, writing group, and, and that was, like, during, during NaNoWriMo, that oh, was a thing that I was seeing where people were like, oh, I'm up to 100k words and I haven't even introduced the love interest yet. It's like, what are you talking about? You need to trim your word count. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's the attitude a little bit that we're talking about, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very, I find it very insufferable. So I think that that's, I think Joan and I have talked about this before. I don't care that much about it unless someone is like actively bragging about it i guess but like being proud that you wrote two hundred thousand words i mean you're not gonna publish your novel like it's nanorima. people think they don't do though that's what they the thing is a lot of people don't have like uh, i don't know how to word this a lot of people don't understand that they're going to have to edit a bunch and like change their concept to pursue publishing because most people are going to self-publish or post online and they don't take the critique or have an open form for that intentionally. Right. Or like people who go into something, like if they write YA or something, right? Like they are going into it thinking about, okay, well, I want to get a three book deal. So they go into it writing a trilogy and like they're, they're trying to write the entire story before the first book has been picked up you're mm -hmm. like in publishing that first book is going to be transformed so much by yeah. the time it reaches you know the stage where it's ready to be published that like you are going to have to redo all of that work so like people people tell you especially like if you're a debut don't do that that's yeah. bad. That that's making so much more work for you in the long run and it's going to make you frustrated and burned out but also just, like, pe people do prize word count because it's, like, about being impressive and about, like, it, in some ways, like, the, the sort of lionization of Stephen King. Because he mm -hmm. can just sit there and write and write and write and fucking write. And, and you know, 
people want to be Stephen King so bad. The reason he can do that is he's on so much cocaine. And, like, you're not on cocaine. Well, he's not anymore. Okay, but... okay. He was on a lot of cocaine at one time in his life. Like, no, I don't want to undercut, like, the skills I'm sure he has. I like a Stephen King book every now and again. You're not Stephen King, you know? You're not going to be Stephen King. You're going to be you, and you're presenting, like, a worse version of yourself when you do that. And, like, I was starting to say, like, when you take the material you have and stretch it, like, over the concept of, like, you're going to do three books, you're going to have, like, X amount of, like, parts, you are watering down the material you have. You're making the material weaker each time. Like, the integrity of the material... Yeah, that's that's why we talk about like second book syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Like like book two in a trilogy is almost always the worst one, the weakest one, because like you don't necessarily have material for three books, but three books is publishing standard in a lot of spaces, especially in YA writing. So like your publisher says like, okay, we we'd like to see a trilogy, and you you maybe have enough material to split over two books remaining but Mm -hmm. you you have to leave all of the climactic stuff for the third book you can't have any significant like status quo changes in the second book if you already know where you're going to be ending in the third book it's it's a similar kind of thing in a lot of like pasta writing Mm -hmm. right where it's like you have like an end point in mind but you are going to stretch your word count before you reach that goal so that you can maximize your engagement in the same way Mm -hmm. that publishers are trying to maximize their profit by selling three books instead of two. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm very into, like, the, like, economics and politics of publishing. Like, that's Mm -hmm. something that I've been getting really into lately. Why would you subject yourself to that? (laughs) It's fascinating. Because Jenna wants to get published. That's like some masochism layer kind of stuff (laughs) you've gotta know what's like going on too i think like even if you tend to just do like writing as like it's good to know like what's happening in the field you're in so we've talked a lot about what we like about this work is there Mm -hmm. anything in specific that feels kind of bad i'll broach the subject with an example of my own i think it gets a little overly technical about the hike itself (laughs) yeah I don't know why it does that. I think that's about immersion. Yeah. Like, they want you to, like, understand your surroundings, but, like, it could be dropped, and I don't think it would be, like, to the detriment of the story too much if, like, a main character isn't yeah. as aware of this and that and ins and outs of it. They don't sound like they're, they're presented sporty in a way that you're supposed to, like, believe that part of it. I, I also, one of the things that I don't like, it's it's like a detail, but like, I don't like that he elaborates on the prion disease comment. Yeah. Like, I wish they sort of left it with Oliver sort of like freaking out about the mad cow thing and yeah. just sort of leave it up to like our, our understanding of like, oh, human brain meat in particular, you can get prion disease from that and that causes the same thing that causes mad cow. It's overwrought a bit, yeah. Like, well, it feels like they just learned about prion disease. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to slam it in the story. And they wanted to kind of put it in the story. Which is, like, a, a cool, <laughs> like, an interesting thing for a story writer to do. It's just, like, you can't force something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it would have just felt better if it had been left, like, subtle. Mm-hmm. Where, like, we're, we're relied upon to 
figure that out for ourselves. But, like, you know, you're gonna get, like, a touch of hand, like, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I hate any kind of hand-holding in any story. I don't like it. I, I, I would rather be thrown into the middle of the pool, you know? I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather be confused. And, like, have to go back and, like, re-graph something, then have someone tell me what's going on within a story. I think my thing is less of, like, a, oh, I wish this was different. Like, this isn't a flawless story because it is, like, what it is with the story. And it would change how it would feel majorly. But I really wish he killed his brother. (laughs) I think that would be, like... Wow. They they teased it so much, I'm kind of glad he didn't. Like... Yeah, I just I think that would just be like if I, I was in the space of writing the story and I was this person who was writing this, that's where my story would go with this, right? Mm-hmm. And like the idea that it's like this girlfriend he didn't have, maybe had, didn't have, I suppose, that <laughs> that she's like cast aside and he like returns to like his life and stuff. The idea that this was, like, an expendable concept falls really, like, flat in the way that has no consequence, then. I feel like part of the interesting thing about this story is, and I guess about, like, a lot of this type of horror in general, is that there is no consequence except the internal consequences. It is, it is a pyrrhic victory. Yeah, like I said, I wouldn't change, I wouldn't necessarily be like, yes, this has to change. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> if I did, if I had to pick something to change, you know what I mean? Because I think the story is really solid. I don't really think there's, like, there's not really, like, a lot of technical flaws to pick at. There's not, like, anything too terribly egregious. It'd be just, like, a thing I would do differently. And that's not a critique. It's just me talking. <laughs> just you throwing ideas out. Yeah. I feel like the consequence of, like, his relationship with his brother is completely ruined. Yeah. It's not, like, a physical thing that happens, but it's, like, it happens anyway. It's cool that nothing happens, basically, in the story. Like, it's very, like, the goat man where no one actually, nothing, like, happened happens to them, but something happened to them. Yeah. And that's cool in a story. Fleshgate gives you the money shot that Goatman doesn't, but it still gives you that deflation. Yeah, like, like you go home and, like, the sense of loss he has is real, and that's scary to have yeah. that. And that's, like, where the fear is from is, like, the attacks from the outsiders and, like, literally dying in the woods. But it's also, like, a loneliness they can never, like, fill is a center, center of, like, this horror. And, like, I, I'm not sure that, I can't, I can't think of anything of, like, I would change in, like, a literal way with the story as it is. Yeah. That being said, the more you talk about it Wednesday, the more Mm -hmm. I'm kind of (laughs) down with the brother dying ending. It's a bit of a mellow, melodrama twist, but it is so juicy. (laughs) It's so juicy. Especially if it was, like, a bait and switch and switch. I think it would have to be a different format for that story to work. Like, I wouldn't make it necessarily, like, a written pasta in the same style this is. Yeah, but, like, if this had, like, a like a short film or something. Yeah, if I was doing this as a short film, it would be the brother-killing scene. <laughs> you know what would be amazing? If someone made a live-action version of this story... 
but changed the made the ending twist that like the ending is different. Okay, okay. It's like a clue, the movie thing. Hey, go watch that. Yeah. Go- going into it, like having it be like a visual medium, right? We already get the mm-hmm. twist basically given away for us that there are mimics because like yeah, we know yeah. who arrived with the group. Seeing the perspective of Evan being like, I think my brother is a mimic, and just like fucking wailing on him. Yeah, kill. Yeah, and then I leave. Would manage to get the same kind of shock that you miss from the fact that like the mimics are given away by the visual you can medium. See him. Yeah, like you would see like, oh, he's human through the visuals because like the transformation would be absent, but then like it would not be addressed afterwards. So you'd just be left with the shock. Yeah, and it's, like, the, the, the ambiguity of, like, could his brother have been one of the mimics? Was he just suffering dehydration? You, there's there's a lot that you could play yeah. with for that. Another thing I, I, I will say, like, not to, not to plug my own story again, but, like, this was, like, the big inspiration for the way that Small Town America ends. Like, the, the sudden, mm-hmm. like, the punctuating it with, like, the sudden extreme violence, and then we just sort of walk away from it. Yeah, it's cool to talk about, like, this being influential to you, because it is. It's like, you're a highly rated pasta in your... <laughs> this is, yeah, this is one of my S-tiers, definitely. Yeah. So, like, of course it would influence your writing. I wouldn't be surprised, like, if you, like, combed up your stuff, you would see other, like, bits of it in there. There's definitely a, a pretentious side of me, too, just generally, that just was waiting for something a little like when when i pictured creepypasta you know the first thing i think about is like a 13 year old (laughs) kind of writing and the bloody blood dripped down the the victim's neck uh, like a pool day of all blood what there was a day where there was so much blood (laughs) yeah over i'm just gonna drop day of all the blood for you to read and like have a little laugh oh, at please. it's very good it's like a classic parody nice. pasta it's nice. very <laughs> we're gonna get you so much online culture <laughs> but not no too you're much. gonna you're gonna od me and i'm gonna be in like a motel one day like mainlining uh, through an IV like smile dog written on the IV bag and like my eyes are back in my head and I keep saying like red rum or something. I don't know. What's the creepy pasta version of red rum? Uh, if, if we... <laughs> Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, if we ever get fan art, just draw that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Make no. up what Hap looks like and, and oh, draw no. him uh, <laughs> intravenously Getting injecting smile dog. Oh, smile dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just whispering, Ben drowned, Ben drowned. Okay, you should also read Ben drowned, because that is, like, a good one. It's, yeah. it's, a, little, it's a little pasta-y, yeah. but it's, like... It's a little... Ho- yeah, it's a little hokey. <laughs> but, but it was also, like... It's also just, like, a fun one. Oh my god, there's something about it that's so, like... Like, it's silly, it's very silly, but it's like, oh my god... I, I we'll, want, we'll, we'll talk about it when I we want, get to it. We don't, we don't want to talk about Vendron too much here. Yeah, just, there, there just is a hold. Hold the sounds I'm make. Hold the sounds I'm making in your in your head for later. <laughs> okay. All right. 
There's there's one on the sidebar that's popping up right now. It's called Squidward Suicide. And I am like <laughs> oh, having classic. to resist Very laughing. Silly. Because it's so like you take this childhood cartoon and then you like have one of the main characters whose main trait is being like grumpy and discontented with life kill themselves. It's in such bad taste that I'm I, I am a little intrigued, I'm not gonna lie. Squidward Suicide is one of those classic, like, dumb pieces. Of sh- okay. <laughs> not, not to tip my hand too much. <laughs> yeah, I, I, can't, I can't wait till the Squidward Suicide episode where we're analyzing, like, oh, yes, the clarinet is symbolic for Happy, you should just start reading stuff. Squidward Suicide is one of sort of like the classic, like, what we consider a lost episode type creepypastas, <laughs> and it's okay. bad. Most lost episode <laughs> pastas are really bad and stupid and for dumb babies. That's my take. Wow. You you, you literally <laughs> alienated like two-thirds of your audience with that, so good job. <laughs> Thanks for listening, listeners. I know you're going to get off at this point, so... It was nice knowing you. I I said earlier, you know, I don't like it when stories hold your hand. And, like, that is the fundamental basis of a lot of, like, popular pastas. Like, stuff that sort of, like, holds your hand and leads you along. And it's like, oh, that was so scary, wasn't it? Oh, like, go fuck yourself. (laughs) I can't tolerate it. (laughs) My my mouse is, like, hovering in circles around the Squidward Suicide (laughs) creepypasta. In a a will-he-won't-he kind of macabre thanks for being here half yeah thank you for thank you for joining us on the podcast this was a blast and a half i think i think Mm -hmm. you guys are so in tune with this kind of stuff that it's interesting to see you know a whole new world oh yeah it was nice having like without knowing that you didn't read a lot of like this stuff it was cool to talk about it in this way a very like accessible one I I just want to say, like, I really went into this pasta with, how do I put this? I just didn't have very high expectations. And I started reading it, and I was like, oh, yeah, whiny protagonist. (laughs) Guess we'll keep going, because I got to do it for the podcast. And I literally couldn't put it down. I literally couldn't put it down until I finished it, and then I (laughs) read it again. (laughs) And I think that that's... that's so we've, we've converted another one, I think. No, no, how <laughs> nice. dare you? How dare you? you. It's, it just, like, shows, like, what creepypastas can be. Like, this is an example of, like, one that's really well done. Anyone could, like, not, not to, like, like, obviously this person's very skilled, but I'm like, you can hone skills comparative to this person. Like, these are, like, things you can, are capable of being able to do if you're interested in, like... It, it's sad, because I think if this legitimately was in any other medium, I think it could be, like... You know, if, if this was a horror movie that got made before anything else, it would be sequeled to death before I could even count <laughs> to ten. Because it would, it would do really well at the box office, because people love horror movies. And this is such a novel concept that I think people would be like, wow, A24 made another banger. <laughs> well, I mean, A24 doesn't do sequels, so that would at least save us that. That's true, <laughs> that's true. Uh, I, I also want to push back on, like, the want to make these things movies and books, but it's very interesting that you, like, think in that, 
way because like your horror association is like movies and books right yeah so i think it's kind of like a natural like thought process to want to like put it into a format of something that you enjoy because it's enjoyable to read i I also think it's relatively natural to want to protect like your own community and the things that are good that come from that you know what i mean like this maybe works better as a creepypasta than it ever could in any other medium like it that's one of the reasons it does succeed maybe anyway i think i think that's all i i can really say about this very solid story definitely like a good a minus yeah i put like a a maybe s range and it's an s for jonah (laughs) wednesday's thinking tier rankings i sort all my thoughts and iceberg form or tier form anymore this is what the internet the internet has ruined us i mean jonah and i pass around like cheese tier lists sometimes we'll just do the most random nonsense like where's munster where's munster for you munster is a is a c tier it's like the most inane no 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 my friend munster is an s tier cheese okay hold up i don't remember this day I hadn't had Munster in a while. I, I had some recently. End the podcast. End the podcast. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you outside, okay? Well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. What do you think of Fleshgate? Leave a comment and tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. If you like the show, go ahead and leave a like or a review and share it with your friends. We're a small, independent podcast. We don't advertise, so we need word of mouth to grow. As always, links to the story and our social media will be in the description. On the next episode, we will be reading I Just Bought My Childhood House. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you, and good night.